6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Jeremiah, chapters 37 through 39. Look at Jeremiah. We are at chapter 37, and we will probably take chapters 37, 8, and 9 tonight. We'll go a little faster than we normally do in terms of covering material, but it's pretty straightforward material, actually. We're in the historical part of the book. As I've emphasized before, the book is not in chronological order, and therefore it causes a lot of confusion. Fortunately, the various passages are fairly well dated by their context, but the, it is an assemblage of various uh, presentations. But at this point, we are it's, it's kind of easy because it will be in order. That is, uh, we're dealing with uh, King Zedekiah. There's about 18 years that have passed since last Monday night. I may feel like that to you, depending on how I want to work. But uh, anyway, in chapter th- between 36 and chapter 37, about t- 18 years have slipped by us here. Uh, Zedekiah has... Uh, We're coming to the twilight of the whole routine. We're going to discuss here the fall of Jerusalem in these three chapters. We've been talking, Jeremiah has been talking about it for, what has it been, 40 years? Zedekiah, he's been reigning for about 11 years since the previous rebellion. Remember, there's three sieges of Nebuchadnezzar. The first siege was the first siege when Daniel was deported and all of that. Rebellion some years later put Zedekiah in charge. Zedekiah has been there 11 years, and, and uh, Zedekiah is kind of a strange duck because he's obviously not faithful to the Word of God, and yet he sort of, you will see several times, we've seen him do it once, we're going to see him do it again, consults with Jeremiah to find out what the Lord is saying. He somehow knows that Jeremiah has the Lord's ear, or it's the other way around, the Lord. Anyway, he's, I got that backwards, but you know what I'm saying. Zedekiah, anyway, seeks counsel of Jeremiah, but doesn't really listen, doesn't like what he hears. He kind of hopes that the message will change, and it doesn't. So Zedekiah is not hostile in an open, aggressive sense, like his advisors are. In fact, in some soft ways, he's quite friendly, and he's, uh, he, he helps Jeremiah, but he's a weakling. He uh, depends which way the wind's blowing at the moment. So and I think I've mentioned before, weak men in positions of leadership hurt people. We've seen that in our own administrations in the past where uh, leadership, when it's not exercised affirmatively, can cause millions of people to get killed. And uh, Zedekiah is one of these guys who is neither cold nor hot, if I might quote from a, a, a Revelation 3. Um, in any case, indifferent, very dangerous, dangerous attitude. Probably the thing to do is just jump in and uh, take as it comes. I think we'll find this uh, fairly straightforward material. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 37, verse 1, and King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim. Remember, Coniah is another word. It's the, it's the throne name for Jehoiachin. And uh, we recall, if you recall, he was the one that had the blood curse pronounced upon it 
which structures a study that leads you to the virgin birth of Christ. And you may recall that we went through that before. If not, you can dig back through the tapes and, and get it. But Quinaya uh, is the one upon whom the blood curse was pronounced, causing the royal line of David to have a cloud upon it. And uh, the, Jesus Christ is heir to his throne because he has the legal title through Joseph, but he ducks the blood curse by having his bloodline not go through Joseph, but through Mary, who is heir to David, but through Nathan, not Solomon, as Luke and Matthew contrast in their genealogies. So uh, Zedekiah, the son of Josiah. Remember, Josiah was the revival king who did a lot of good things, but after him it went back to the old idol-worshiping things. But Zedekiah was... Uh, so Josiah reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, or Kedrezer to be more precise, um, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. So Zedekiah was put up in office. He was an heir, but his source to power was Nebuchadnezzar's authority after the second siege of Jerusalem. So Zedekiah is a vassal king and um, is obviously uh, ineffective. His reigning second string, if you will, his second tier of command, was pro-Egypt. Pharaoh Hophra was an ally, and they continually try and hope, they try to make alliances with Egypt and hope that Egypt will somehow help them throw off the Babylonian siege. Uh, doesn't work. Maybe as, as, uh, Jeremiah continually tells them it ain't going to work. They don't listen. Um, Remember, well, we're going to find, it's going to recount it again, how the Babylonians withdraw from the siege, and the people in Jerusalem think that's a good deal. They're giving up. What they don't understand is Nebuchadnezzar has gone to take care of Pharaoh Hophra. He'll be back, and they lay siege and level it, burn it, and so on, as we'll see shortly. Okay, verse 2, But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land did hearken unto the words of the Lord which he spoke by the prophet Jeremiah. That summarizes most of the book. Okay, we've been through temple discourses. We've been through episode after episode at various stages of, of, of the different kings under whom Jeremiah preached or prophesied. And uh, the same story, they did not listen. He knew they wouldn't, but his burden was to present it in any case. And what's interesting, we're going to see all the things that Jeremiah prophesied will be fulfilled in the next few chapters. Verse 3, And Zedekiah the king sent Jehuchal, the son of some other name I can't pronounce, Shelemiah, I guess, and Zephaniah the son of uh, Messiah, the priest, to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Pray now unto the Lord our God for us. Pray for us in effect. Now, this Zephaniah we're seeing here, we've met twice before in chapter 21 and 29, which we won't go back, but just if he sounds familiar, it's because you, we've run into him before. Not all Zephaniahs are the same. Several of them are different. But this particular guy shows up particularly in chapter uh, 21. And I believe the same guy is in 29, if I remember correctly. Now, they're, see they're seeking God, but selfishly. It's an interesting thing here. They're they come to Jeremiah saying, Pray now unto the Lord our God for us. Sounds great, doesn't it? They're going to pray... They're asking Jeremiah to pray to God the way we usually do. Most of us think that prayer is a time to let God know what our will is. Right? I mean, give him the, the, the list for the day. You know, you, I know there's girls when they, on Saturday morning you give your husbands the list for the day, right? And uh, when you pray to the Lord, you give them the list for the morning. Let's see, Lord, uh, 
heal this and take care of that and be sure you don't, don't forget to do such and so, right? Isn't that the way we pray? And we don't like to admit that because we sort of realize that ain't right. What we pray, what we should be praying for is to learn what his will is in our lives, not what our will should be in his, on his agenda. But, but uh, that's what's happening here. There, before we get too critical of these two characters, let's recognize that, you know, there go us, right? I'm afraid. In any case, they come to Jeremiah, pray, for, pray, pray now unto the Lord, our God, for us. Now Jeremiah came in and went out among the people, for they had not put him in, into prison. We're going to get back to that. You're going to find that he, he, has, he, he has plenty of time. He has, he's not in a prison yet. We're going to get to that. And then Pharaoh, Pharaoh's army was come forth out of Egypt, and when the Chaldeans had besieged Jerusalem, heard tidings of them, they departed from Jerusalem. See, Pharaoh's army, that's Pharaoh Hophra, these are the enemies of the Babylonians. And the, the Judean leadership under the king was very pro-Egypt. And they kept hoping that God would use an alliance with Egypt to spare them the, 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 the spare their enemies the victory against them. Because obviously God is going to see us through the same way he saw Hezekiah through in the days of Isaiah. No, wrong, got it wrong. Because in the days of Hezekiah, he listened and he repented. They sought the Lord and the Lord delivered them. But they missed the fine print. I mean, we're God's people. This is his city, his temple. He's not going to let it go down. Wrong. He does. So that's what he preaches again and again. So Pharaoh, this is Pharaoh Hofer, his army was come forth out of Egypt. The, the presumption here, the inference here is, is that this alliance that the Zedekiah was, the people were hoping for was uh, uh, maybe taking root. When the Babylonians recognized this, no, no, no sweat, they detach themselves from the siege for a while and go take care of Pharaoh Ophra. Okay? Doesn't take long. They get that fixed, and then they come back, finish the siege. Now, um, see, when the Chaldeans that besieged Chaldeans, both Babylonians being, for our purposes, they're synonyms. They're technically not, but they're for practical purposes. Chaldea is the general land. Babylon is the city-state that heads it up. So when you say Chaldeans in this context, the term refers to the Babylonians. In the book of Daniel, the word Chaldeans can mean that, but it is used denotatively to mean uh, 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 mystics of that religion. Sometimes the word Chaldean implies a magician because of the way the language is used in the Aramaic. But here the Chaldean, the term is, is, is uh, residents of Chaldea, the land of Babylon rules. But in any case, when the Chaldeans that besieged Jerusalem heard tidings of them, they departed from Jerusalem. Out of fear? No to set themselves up to take care of that issue. There's a false euphoria that sets in in Jerusalem. Hey, the Babylonians are gone. Hooray. Wrong. They'll be back. Okay. Verse 6, Then came the word of the Lord unto the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Now see, these in inserted words here to give you a context of what's going on when these two guys get dispatched to come and ask Jeremiah to pray for him. They're still under siege, but they think they might not be, see? Okay, then, in other words, because they, they recognize that the Babylonians have gone away, at least for a while. And came the word of the Lord unto the prophet Jeremiah, saying, verse 7, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus shall ye say to the king of Judah, who sent you unto me to inquire of me, Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come forth to help you, 
shall return to Egypt unto their own land. Translated, tough luck, guys. Your trust is in the wrong things. See, they, they were hoping that Pharaoh's army was on their way to help. Wrong. They're going to go home. We don't know it's out of fear or just good judgment. But anyway, they ain't going to, they ain't going to take on your Babylonian enemies. Verse 8. And the Chaldeans shall come again and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. Now, this is all very obvious as I describe it. See, unless you recognize what's going on, see, the Babylonians have left. They think, hey, that's going to be great. No, God's saying, listen, Pharaoh, don't put your hope there. Pharaoh's going to go home, go back home, and the Chaldeans shall come again. They'll reestablish the siege, in other words. They'll fight against the city, and they'll take it, and they'll burn it with fire. Thus saith the Lord, deceive not yourselves, saying, the Chaldeans shall surely depart from us, for they shall not depart. I mean, that is, they've departed only in a tactical sense. They've gone away for a little while. They'll be back. Yes, they've departed, but only in a superficial, tactical sense. They'll be, they haven't departed in, in the sense of abandoning the siege of the city. Verse 10, For though ye had smitten the whole army of the Chaldeans that fight against you, and there remained but wounded men among them, yet should they rise up every man in his tent and burn the city with fire. Do you get the um, the put down in that? You know, it's funny. We always think of the Lord speaking in sort of majestic terms. You know, we we often hear the Lord speak in the Old Testament in sort of I don't know, kind of I can't think of the right words, but like in majestic terms. I'm mean, I'm very intrigued when you really look at what He's saying. It it's very very conversational. He's making his point, and he explains it. I love this. For though ye had smitten the whole army of the Chaldeans, I mean, you can knock them all off, so you got nothing but the helpless and wounded. Helpless and wounded are going to clean your cage, guys. For though ye had smitten the whole army of the Chaldeans that fight against you, and there remain but wounded men among them, yet that should they rise up every man in his tent and burn this city with fire. In other words, he's, he's it's sort of like an underline, a underscore, that... Hey, don't put your hopes on the Egyptians or anything else. They're going to cut you down, guys. Period. New paragraph. Okay, verse 11. And it came to pass when the army of the Chaldeans was broken up from Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army, then Jeremiah went forth out of Jerusalem to go into the land of Benjamin to separate himself there in the midst of the people. Now, there are acre feet of documents by commentators trying to figure out what was Jeremiah doing. Now, where he was going was to the land of Benjamin. Why? Who, who remembers? Where was his hometown? Anathot, right? He is going to get accused of desertion, treason, in effect, which is nonsense. Nonsense, for lots of reasons. Lots of reasons. But what he probably was doing was... Now, some people argue he went there to straighten out the land that he just bought from his uncle, or whatever it was. Wrong, because that hasn't happened yet. you got some chronological problems, not big ones, but that's not an issue. But what he obviously was doing is going back to his hometown to make some arrangement about his personal affairs. 
And um, there's all kinds of evidence, and I won't bore you with all that, to point out that he had no intention of escaping for lots of reasons. It wasn't that, you know, some, some try to argue that he was trying to slip away while the Chaldeans weren't around the city. No, he just used that opportunity because he had the personal mechanical freedom to go to, it's, I think, I forget, it's, I think it's 10 miles to the northwest or whatever, anyway, to, to go to Anathoth and, and uh, straighten out some of his personal affairs. However, he gets caught, so to speak. Verse 13, and when he was in the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the guard was there whose name was Arijah, the son of Shalemiah, the son of Hananiah. And he took Jeremiah, the prophet, saying, Thou fallest away to the Chaldeans. Or translate, you know, to, to, to give you the more the tone of it, this guy Arijah accuses Jeremiah of treasonous desertion, like he's like he's trying to slip away. Now, what makes all this so silly is, is if he was trying to slip away to the Chaldeans, he wouldn't wait when our Chaldeans were gone. He could do that any, any of lots of opportunity. But you wonder, why is this guy accusing him of all of this? You need to remember that um, his grandfather, Hananiah, his Hananiah's death, was prophesied by Jeremiah back in chapter, I think it's 28, verse 16, for those of you that may remember that. I'm sure most of you remember that. Okay. So there's some view that Arijah here is, you know, because Jeremiah prophesied Hananiah's death, his great grand his, his grandfather, that Arijah has a thing in for Jeremiah, spots him, and lays an accusation on him. That's the most rational view from what I understand of all this. Verse 14. Then said Jeremiah, It is false, I fall not away to the Chaldeans, but he hearkened not to him. So Arijah took Jeremiah and brought him to the princes. Now bear in mind, the princes here are the second tier, the people that are reporting to the king and are not Jeremiah's buddy. Jeremiah for 40 years has been preaching this theme that the Babylonians have been risen to power by God as God's mechanism to judge Judah for their idol worshiping. And it's a very unpopular message. It's so unpopular, they seize upon this to accuse Jeremiah of treason. So verse 15, Wherefore the princes were angry with Jeremiah and smote him and put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, for they had made that the prison. And it's, you know, there's lots of archaeological evidence here that they often did this, that certain homes were set up side to be... Uh, you know, to include a prison and supervision of it. In any case, these guys um, nailed Jeremiah for his unpopular message. Verse 16, when Jeremiah was entered into the dungeon and into the cells, and uh, Jeremiah had remained there many days, then Zedekiah the king sent and took him out. And the king asked him secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? Interesting situation. The princes, the princes put him in the dungeon. It's interesting that the king, yes, he's senior to the princes, but he doesn't rule with a free hand. This is very realistic. Life is really like that. You, 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 know, you generally aren't in full, complete authority. You're always in a, some sense of compromising pressures. But it's still interesting that Zedekiah uh, gets him out of the dungeon but does it secretly. Interesting. 
interesting situation here. It's uh, it's also kind of provocative that we have Jeremiah, who's a prisoner, being sought out by the throne. Here's Zedekiah who sits on the throne, tiptoeing around secretly, counseling with Jeremiah, because Jeremiah has something the king would wishes he had, the word of the Lord. Now, when he solicits it and gets it, he doesn't like what comes, but he seems to understand at least that God does speak and does speak through um, our friend Jeremiah. So as the king sent and took him out, verse 11, and the king asked him secretly in the house and said, Is there any word from the Lord? As I dropped myself in Zedekiah's shoes, here's this guy that's getting beat up, beat up, literally. I mean, you know, they, they, they um, smote him. Doesn't go into detail, but, uh, you know, uh, under these kinds of circumstances, uh, man tends to be inhuman to man. So we can only guess the kind of abuse that they heaped upon Jeremiah and threw him in the dungeon. And, and yet, in all of this context, Zedekiah the king has a presumption that God's still speaking to Jeremiah. It's a, hard to figure out where Zedekiah is really coming from. And Jeremiah said, There is, for said he, thou shalt be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. <laughs> now, Zedekiah says, Oh, goody, huh? I mean... Zedekiah was hoping he'd hear some kind of good news. I don't think Zedekiah was hoping to once again get indicted at the word of the Lord's prophet. But he says, is there any word from the Lord? He says, yeah, there sure is. Um, you're going to lose. You know. <laughs> Thou shalt be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. And if you recall the earlier messages, uh, you know, uh, Jeremiah told Zedekiah, not only are you going to be delivered to the king of Babylon, you're going to have to face him face to face. And in that tone, we realize that Nebuchadnezzar was something to be feared. You, you being enslaved by him is one thing. Having to confront him face to face called, caused trembling. But anyway, here, here's uh, Jeremiah once again saying, uh, <laughs> you're going to lose it, fellow. Uh, said he, for thou shalt be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. Verse 18, moreover, Jeremiah said unto to king Zedekiah, what have I offended against thee or against thy servants or against this people that ye have put me in prison. Very strange situation is happening here. For 40 years, the false prophets have said that, hey, God is going to deliver his people. Don't sweat Babylon. God is going to deliver it just like he delivered Hezekiah in the days of Isaiah, etc. Wrong. False prophets. The Torah is very explicit as to what you do with a false prophet. They had a very effective, self-correcting professional development program. If you said, thus saith the Lord, it didn't come out, they killed you. Jeremiah was, all this time, saying, those guys are false. This is what's going to happen. The Chaldeans are going to win, and you, God is going to use them to judge you. What's fascinating is the true pride, and by now they should be recognizing it's happening. That's part of why Zedekiah is nervous. He's reconfirming that, gee, this is really what God's message is. And he, Zedekiah is kind of a totally indescendable character because if he's just uh, misguided, you figure, okay, the guy's misinformed, he blew it. 
But you can sort of tell he's listening. He hears this. He doesn't like what he hears. So he, do, he's, he you don't give him a zero for data. He's got it. Yet he doesn't act up on it. I mean, he's in the worst possible situation because he's been told, and yet he doesn't seize that data and respond, putting the false prophets in prison and taking Jeremiah out and listening to God's counsel. That pathetic? Careful. On your notes, put yourself, next to Zedekiah, put paren me, question mark, close paren. Are we in that position? Do we hear God's counsel but don't follow it? You know, if you haven't heard the Word of God, you know, that's one thing. But we have. Do we sort of half-listen and maybe not like the sound of it and hope the message will change? That describes a lot of us. We'll read something in one of the epistles and the shoe pinches a little. And put it aside, maybe read it six months later, hoping it went away, or maybe it meant something else. No, it tells us what God would have us do. Do we seize upon that, recognize his word, and act upon it? Or do we, like Zedekiah, sort of wince and sort of wait for the message to change? Scary. Anyway, Jeremiah challenges King Zedekiah, What have I offended against thee or against thy servants or against this people that ye have put me in prison? Where are now your prophets who prophesied unto you, saying, The king of Babylon shall not come against you nor against this land? Good question. Hey, Zedekiah, those turkeys on your payroll for at least 11 years now, actually longer, for most of Jeremiah's ministry of 40 years, but Zedekiah's reign was 11. This isn't a few months thing. This is years, more than a decade. These turkeys you've been listening to have been saying that the king of Babylon shall not come against you nor against this land. Doesn't that make them false prophets? Why am I in this dungeon and those turkeys are walking around free? That's what, in effect, he's saying. They're not really free. They're all under siege, and their rations are disappearing. There's not much food. It won't be long. They'll be cannibalizing each other. It's bad, bad news to siege like that. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Jeremiah. Download the new K-House TV app to access an ever-growing collection of free resources. Visit the Apple or Android app store and search K-House TV on your Roku or Fire TV streaming device. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.